Wow, it's been a while, hasn't it? Uh, I'm so old. Yeah, it's clearly no longer December, but here we are, back again, to slowly but surely whittle down this list. Woo! I mean, I'm so old. I'm just kidding. <laughs> there are too many cartoons, but they'll watch them all. The Penny and James can sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm James Irish. And I'm Pembroke W. Corgi. And welcome back to the Pemmy and James kind of, sort of, hopefully cartoon podcast. We are back after our hiatus. The less said about why, the better. All those details are up on the Artificial Orange Studios YouTube page anyway. Yeah, it hasn't been the most fun, like, what, several months for me? <laughs> and you had stuff going on, too, so. Yeah, been, a little bit. Been rough but we're both turning the corner slowly but surely and we figured we'd give it the old college effort one more time despite us being at least 20 years out of college age range <laughs> so we are resuming with our plans for the 20th episode celebration with chuck jones's daffy duck cartoons or as we like to call this episode chuck a duck <laughs> wonderful because you know as far as I'm concerned, and I know there's people that would argue it, uh, I'd, I'd definitely say Chuck Jones's Daffy is the best Daffy. So, Created by Tex Avery, Daffy Duck was Warner's screwiest character, despite what Elmer Fudd had to say about the Wabbit. <laughs> he bounced around going, woo 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 and generally made the lives of Porky Pig and nearly everyone else he came into contact with miserable with his lunacy. He could walk on the ceiling in Bob Clampett's all-time classic, The Great Piggy Bank Robbery, and wouldn't even bother lampshading it with a one-liner like Bugs Might. And audiences bought it because he was that immune to the simple concept of logic. I do like Clampett Daffy, too, I will say that. But he was definitely a completely different beast from what we'd eventually get, though. Yes. Under the directorial view of Chuck Jones... Daffy evolved into something a little different. Loud-mouthed, bad-tempered, egotistical, and honestly his own worst enemy. Daffy became the distillation of, in Chuck's own words, what Chuck was afraid he actually was. Opposite Bugs Bunny representing what he hoped he was. Wasn't one of the lines he said was something along the lines of people wish they were uh, Bugs, but they're actually Daffy? Or something like that? Probably. That, that, that's about the gist of it. But arguably, this is how Daffy is best known today, thanks to decades of this era of cartoons being reran on prime spots in network television, especially on Saturday morning, and being the basis of many future projects featuring the character. And Chuck's outspoken nature also led him to complain when his Daffy wasn't featured in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, despite that movie's time period, meaning the Clampett version was more appropriate. I didn't stop uh, Wiley e. Coyote and Roadrunner from appearing in it, though. Yeah, or Marvin the Martian, for that matter. Yep. 
but you know that was just the directors loved the characters specifically steven spielberg yeah and it's also worth mentioning jones and clampett were notoriously not on good terms and that's a story better told by actual historians not a wacko enthusiast like myself no but i will uh point out that in the uh what was it, the Bugs Bunny and Roadrunner movie when uh, Bugs was talking about how he had several fathers and mentioned Chuck and Fritz and doesn't mention Clampett at all? (laughs) Which is weird because Clampett Daffy has kind of made a comeback. Actually, Clampett's style in general is kind of making a comeback, which is surprising. It has, but the source of that diss is basically a pre-internet clapback for Bob Clampett undermining the contributions of the other Warner creators in the documentary movie Bugs Bunny Superstar. At least that's what I've heard. Yeah, which just makes the fact that the Clampett kind of style has come back recently all the more surprising, I guess. It has. (laughs) So uh, when talking about Daffy Duck under Chuck Jones, obviously the first ones that come to mind... Probably the Hunting Season trilogy, but we decided that deserves a podcast entirely to itself. Uh, Yes, because, I mean, that's already three shorts, and they're really good ones. Yes. I'm a fiddler crab! It's fiddler crab season! (laughs) Where did I go wrong? So instead, we're going to turn our attention to Chuck's output that focused on Daffy. Coincidentally... All but one of these also feature Porky Pig as straight man to Daffy's revised lunacy, which, combined with the Tashlin and Clampet shorts, makes them arguably Warner's longest-lasting comedic duo. Which is also interesting, since it, it's it's kind of a similar but also complete opposite from how the uh, Daffy and Porky dynamic was before. Yeah. Porky was still the straight man, but he was more the hapless, like, one dealing with like Daffy's uh, antics in the early stuff. While in this one, it's more like he's still a straight man, but it, it, he's doing it in a way that's giving grief to Daffy rather than Daffy giving him grief. Right. Now, all these shorts are, of course, directed by Chuck Jones and written by Mike Maltese. Wh- we've stated in the Sylvester episode is the Warner dream team. As far as we're concerned. Yes. They, they work so well together. It's actually pretty amazing. Music is by Carl Stalling, unless otherwise noted, and all voices here are are by Mel Blanc. We don't get any appearances by Billy Belcher or June Foray or Stan Freeberg or even Arthur Q. Bryan. Thank you. That was the one I was waiting for. <laughs> so we start with the short that signaled the transition in terms of how Porky and Daffy played off each other, 1951's Drip Along Daffy. He is a Western-type hero. Yes, yes, we're introduced as such to Daffy being the Western-type hero, and Porky, the comedy relief, as they ride into the lawless Western town. All of this indicated by not-so-subtle subtitles. I just laugh at how long the mane is on, like, Daffy's horse. (laughs) It's like, how is that horse not tripping over its own mane? Now, before we uh, get into the, the chaos that's about to ensue, we should mention that the short opens with the dulcet tones of Porky Pig stutter singing The Flower of Gower Gulch, which was written for this cartoon. Gower Gulch, it being the nickname of a Hollywood-area intersection where you'd find would-be Western actors. Wow. 
Actually, yeah, I, I just learned that. that yesterday. Nice bit of history. So our lawless western town is Snakebite Center, which has a population of 350... Wait, no, 349. The sheriff has just been shot. Snakebite Center is definitely not a place that I want to go to, but I also have a snake phobia. Right. And now the number of sheriffs in the cemetery is... 23,472,987. Wow. The the only time that number is a good number would be if it was in my bank account, which will never happen. But, <laughs> but yeah, Snakebite Center is one of the most lawless towns I've seen since the last time I watched Blazing Saddles. Bandits are robbing everything from the bank to Custard's Last Stand to the blacksmith which is a horse robbing horseshoes, and even the cigar store uh, Native American is being held at gunpoint by a mannequin. When you know what your city's popular for, (laughs) I I especially like the uh, scene where the gunfight chases get stopped by a freaking traffic signal. (laughs) For a lawless western town, they sure obey the traffic ordinances. But said cigar store depiction of a Native American is probably why this short is not on HBO Max. Alongside the robbery of Sitting Bull's Curio's TP. Yeah. I, I do like the gag, though, with the two, uh, when the two cowboys are riding their horses and bump into each other and the horses <laughs> were the ones that start the freaking gunfight. <laughs> yes. And capping off this series of gags is a gunfight outside the Old Girdle Saloon, where you come in and get tight. Which has Undertakers already at the ready to deliver the loser to the undertaking form of Rigor Mortis. Rigor O Mortis. Whose building is the tallest in town, we should mention. The Smiling Undertaker. I, I don't think I would ever be comfortable with an Undertaker smiling this barrage of gags is all in the first two minutes including the credits i don't know about you pem but i'm really not used to chuck jones cartoons of this era being quite this fast-paced i'm not complaining it's just wow (laughs) i think chuck and maltese just had a lot of jokes they want to cram in here (laughs) probably but our protagonists reach town and daffy sees the sheriff wanted sign Pulling a badge from a collection of gag badges inside his vest, Daffy declares there'll be a sneak preview, and the sneaks won't like it! I I like that one of them is a chicken inspector. I wonder if Foghorn Leghorn is aware of this. (laughs) (laughs) He'll clean up this one-horse town, and into the town they charge, and that horse's mane gets right in Daffy's face. Alluding to what you were describing earlier. (laughs) <laughs> or rather, following up on what you were describing earlier. That's such a great visual gag. As is the uh, pitter-patter of, of the donkey's hooves that Porky is riding. That's a fast donkey. Yeah. I guess you could say it's a fast ass. Okay. I'm I fine. keep expecting Archer to come in and go, Hey! Phrasing! Phrasing! <laughs> so... Into town they charge, and into the saloon he goes, ripping his pants off while trying to remove his guns from the holsters. It feels a bit drafty in here. (laughs) 
His second attempt at intimidation doesn't fare any better, ending with a meek, Anyone for tennis? With no takers, he settles for getting a double pasteurized milkshake at the bar, which is promptly shot by Nasty Canasta. That design is so great. And it, it's, it's that that legendary gag of him standing in front of the wanted poster and moving, and it's the same face on there exactly. Yeah. On said wanted poster, it turns out Nasty Canasta is wanted dead. Not dead or alive, just dead. With a $5 million reward. And this is in 1800s money. What are his crimes? Rustling, banditry, and square dance calling. Classic rule of three stuff. I also like that the animation of him walking up at Daffy is literally just his legs moving and nothing else. <laughs> it weirdly just adds to the both the hilariousness and the intimidation. Yeah, the, the intimidation is such that the mere sight of him sends all the bar patrons fleeing, but not Daffy. He tries to arrest Canasta, who just bites Daffy's gun and chews it up. Must have not had his iron today. <laughs> Daffy keeps at it, saying that he would like, I would like, I would like a trip to Europe to introduce himself. And Canasta insists that Daffy has a drink. Boy, is that a drink. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he asks for two of the usual, and the bartender puts on a welding mask and safety gloves to get a concoction of Cobra Fang juice, hydrogen bitters, and Old Panther. Okay. Rule of three, which I've alluded to, dictates that this old panther stuff is the real gag. So I went to look it up. Apparently, it's a particularly potent whiskey whose labels dated back to the Prohibition era. And it's cropped up in other comedy projects prior to this from the Three Stooges and Tex Avery. I, I also want to add in that the uh, behind all three of those uh, beverages... <laughs> The walls of that cupboard are, say asbestos on it. Oh. <laughs> yeah, this all gets Daffy's attention. And whatever the case of what these ingredients are, even the ice doesn't want any part of it. Nope. Yipe, 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 yipe. drinks his with fully onomatopoeid gurgles. Gurgle, 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 gurgle. And all it does is make his hat fly off his head for a bit. Again, the, the simplification of the animation just makes that even more hysterical because that's like the only thing that moves on him at uh -huh. Daffy, for his part, pawns his off to Porky and, well, Porky rather enjoys it. Daffy insists on another for himself and then everything goes to heck. The, the cleverness of this gag is the fact that Unlike some where it would just be Porky was not affected by it, Porky is affected by it. It's just a delayed reaction. <laughs> Mary had a little lamb. Yeah, they, they recite poetry, all cutesy Elmer Fudd as a six-year-old style, and then start behaving like wind-up toys, and then Daffy launches like a firecracker after his guns go off in their holsters. I I hate you. <laughs> Once he lands, Daffy challenges the Omber, he must have missed Spanish class, to a shootout. And here is probably the most earnest reference to the Western movies we get, because 
the lead up to this shootout is sold so straight. No music, no sight gags to distract. Just Daffy and Canasta slowly striding up to the assigned meeting point. Also, seemingly Porky must have shaved before this because he lost his stubble. Uh, he did. <laughs> and then we realize something is up when Porky casually winds up a cute little toy soldier. Canasta picks it up, laughing, until it actually shoots him dead. And before Daffy can do anything, the, the entire town has decided that Porky is their new sheriff and have given him so much applause and praise. Yeah, Daffy protests increasingly meekly. By the time he gets to his demand for a dozen roses, he's, it, it, he just knows he's beat. Poor Daffy just cannot get a break. Nope. And it gets somewhat worse. Because uh, Porky decides to give Daffy a job, and Daffy resolves he will still clean up this one-horse town as a sanitation worker. To which Porky says, lucky for him, it is a one-horse town. (laughs) Yeah, try not to think too hard about that one, folks. Hilariously, Maltese actually does uh, kind of uh, reuse some of these gags for uh, Quick Draw McGraw card. The first Quick Draw McGraw McGraw cartoon mm. for Hanna Barbera. Oh, I, I, was Quick Draw himself the one horse? Hilariously not, because he doesn't seem to acknowledge himself as a horse a lot of times. Oh. Which even jokes are made about that. Mm. What what makes you fancy me? You remind me of my horse. He's like so offended by. <laughs> now Jones did not return to Nasty Canasta frequently, but he did bring him back for a pair of cartoons. 1954's My Little Duckaroo, which follows a similar formula to Drip Along, and 1956's Barbary Coast Bunny, where a very different interpretation of Canasta is voiced by Dawes Butler rather than Mel Blanc, and tries to swindle bugs at gambling for a massive gold nugget he found. I remember that one. Yeah, that one was very frequently ran on Nickelodeon's uh, Looney Tunes block way back in the beginning when... They had just the spits and spots that ABC wasn't using and all the old black and white cartoons and the Patty Freeling and Seven Arts stuff. Yeah, that's Nickelodeon is pretty much responsible for all of my memories of the the, the Patty Freeling and Seven Arts Looney Tunes cartoons. Mm -hmm. Now, post-Golden Age appearances for Nasty Canasta include spots in the Tweety and Sylvester Mysteries, the Cartoon Network Duck Dodgers cartoon series, the feature film Looney Tunes Back in Action, alongside Western side character Cottontail Smith, where they're both working as muscle for Yosemite Sam. And Canasta even popped up in a pair of video games. He's the second boss in the Super NES title Rabbit Rampage, and he appears in the multi-platform 7th generation console game Acme Arsenal. I also just want to say that the the short that uh, that SNES game is based on is underrated, in my opinion. But I actually think Rabbit Rampage is an underrated short. You don't hear people mention it as much when they mention like a lot of good Bugs Bunny shorts. Oh, to be but. sure. It is underrated, I agree. But I'll tell you what's not underrated. Duck Dodgers! In the 24th and a half century! One of the cartoons ever deemed one of the best cartoons ever made historic practically in fact i think it was it was easily in that it was in that top five of that book i referenced way back in the warner one-offs episode the number one cartoon we'll be talking about later 
I, I love I love the Duck Dodgers short. I I think I can say I like this Duck Dodgers short better than the sequel short it got mm-hmm. later. But now science fiction elements in cartoons are arguably infrequent in the theatrical era. You'd have Superman and parodies thereof, sure, but mostly cartoons were there to be the comfort food that dealt with the familiar fairy tales, historical allegories, current events, and so on. It took some time, and the arguable realism of actual space travel, for the idea of men from Mars and other aliens to truly enter the cultural zeitgeist to the point where cartoons about them were viable. And I think Chuck was right on that pulse with creation of Looney Tunes cult favorite, Marvin the Martian. Ah, one of my favorite Hmm, is he my favorite, like, Looney Tunes villain? Mm, possibly. 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 I like I like Marvin a lot. Marvin's sadly very underutilized within the original shorts, I feel. And he is. Now, having gone up against Bugs a couple times prior to this, Marvin was basically the anti-Yosemite Sam. Perfectly calm and collected, and unquestionably dangerous, without the inadvertent intervention of Bugs, who had to improvise on the spot far more than he would against the easily befuddled Elmer Fudd or Sam's reckless temper. Putting Marvin up against Daffy, whose character traits contrast very differently to Marvin, it created a very different dynamic from what Marvin had with Bugs, which was a natural step to take for this character. And the then-popular Buck Rogers series made perfect fodder for this pairing to come into conflict. I imagine this is done while they were still probably doing Buck Rogers serials or whatnot, or at least used to. Mm -hmm. Now, for the curious, Buck Rogers in the 25th century began in 1928 in the pulp magazine Amazing Stories, which formalized the idea of space being the setting of swashbuckling adventures and would be adapted into comics, books, and a film serial beginning in 1939. It would be subsequently revised as a TV series in 1979 in the wake of the popularity of Star Wars. And that series would also star Mel Blanc. Yeah, as uh, what, Twiggy? Or is that the robot's name? Beanie, 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 beanie. That's correct. I, I remember I used to watch that quite a bit when I was a kid. And and sadly, the only thing I remember from it is the robot and the, the intro where you just see him spiraling <laughs> while the music plays. Where you see that that Buck Rogers spiral animation is like lives rent free in my head for the rest of my wow. life to the point where I parodied it more than once in some of my videos. Uh, Buck Rogers would continue with various computer and video games in the eighties and nineties, including, I believe, uh, some of the some games that use the old Dungeons and Dragons uh, Gold Box game engine, and there would be many many other projects hither and on. Uh, I am mostly familiar with uh, Buck Rogers and the Planet of Zoom. So. Ah, yes, that was the the Sega game, right? Yeah, which uh, only has a Buck Rogers license in America, because in Japan it was just Planet of Zoom, if I remember right. I, yes, I believe that is correct. But this isn't uh, getting us anywhere with the cartoon. So, <laughs> our, our short opens with Duck Dodgers reporting for duty, and Dr. I.Q. High, Secretary of the Stratosphere, informing him that Alludium Fosdex, the shaving cream atom, is in low supply. And he needs to find Planet X. Mm-hmm. 
of course it's Planet X. Yeah. <laughs> this is where Dodgers and the eager young space cadet, Porky Pig, of course, will be headed. Now, before we go any further, I absolutely have to point out the layout designs of one Maurice Noble, who would be one of Jones's right-hand men, along with Mike Maltese. His designs for this outer space city and for Planet X are gloriously angular, showing some inspiration from the UPA style, but in a more fully dimensional, traditional sense. You know, kind of the best of both worlds in my book. Yeah, and and they're so abstract and great. I love them. But it also works for the kind of futurist-like ideals that were going on a lot during that time period, Mm -hmm. too. So, Or a parody of the futuristic views, which kind of weirdly beca- just became futuristic views, especially during like what the fifties and sixties where everything, the, the concept of future, like very Jetsons kind of angler look was like what they expected the future to look like. Mm-hmm. Now Dodgers reaches his ship via evaporator, which is a predecessor to Star Trek's teleporters. But although I don't know for sure, there has to have been some concurrent thing they were referencing at that point uh, i think the concept of teleporters or various variations of them far outdate star trek yeah so. yeah I, like i said something had to be concurrent to the duck dodgers gag of the evaporator <laughs> for it to be a gag in the first place true i just don't know what it would be yeah maybe they just thought it would be in a funny variation on the teleporter or transporter or whatever to evaporate you and read. I don't know. Anywho. It doesn't sound pleasant, that's for no, sure. <laughs> no, considering the human body is majority water, I don't think I want to be evaporated. I'm not sure if I want to be teleported or transported if, like, the, the ideals of Star Trek are right, too. So, Although, I'm going to get political here. The way things are going, maybe in 20 years the Texas sun will evaporate one of us. Oof. If it's not Texas, it'll be freaking Arkansas. I mean, not Arkansas, uh, Arizona. Yeah. Anyhow, Team Daffy's blasting off again, but <laughs> but not quite yet because he left the silly thing in reverse. I like how nonchalant he is about yeah. that. It's no big deal. But once they're properly in outer space, in outer space, if they weren't already. It's kind of unclear with this city. Daffy attempts to figure out how to get there with a series of instructions that I did not dare write down. Only an audio clip will suffice. Cue the footage. Starting from where we are, we go 33,600 turbo miles due up. Then west in an astro arc deviation to here. Then following the great circle, seven radial lubes south by down east. By astro astrobo to here, here and here, then by space navigo compass to here, here, and then to here, and here, by 13-point stratocumulus bearing 4 million light years, and thus to our destination. Porky understands exactly how to get to Planet X, and Daffy just wishes he'd explain it to him. (laughs) But it turns out Porky's suggestion is so simple. Just follow the just follow the lettered planets until you get to X, because there's a planet A and B and C and D. Indeed. Don't go to planet D. And of course, Daffy dismisses this as silly before taking the credit for the idea himself. Because of course he does. Yeah. 
eventually they land, and I claim this planet in the name of the Earth! Might as well have been a trigger phrase to bring Marvin in. And he promptly claims the planet for Mars. And Daffy threatens Marvin, thinking he has the upper hand because of his disintegration-proof vest. Yes, this is after but... Marvin pulls out a disintegrating pistol. Well, that, that vest did its job. <laughs> well, it, the vest didn't disintegrate, but Daffy sure did. Yep. After being reintegrated by Porky, Daffy blusters for a bit, and then pulls his own disintegrating pistol, which disintegrates itself. Once again, the rule of three, ladies and gentlemen. Expectation, repetition, subversion. I, I also love just the delivery of Daffy. He's just like, huh, it disintegrated. <laughs> also want to give, again, credit to the background artist because I love how they made everything into X's on Planet X. Mm-hmm. Very clever. Nice, surrealistic backgrounds. I highly approve. Yes. I bet Planet X misses Planet O. The hugs need their kisses. Ha! Anyhow, well, that's the that's why Planet O isn't nearby anymore. There, it's it it's Planet O's X. Ha! Oh, oh, oh dear. Anyway, Porky handily sends Marvin packing with a little uh, gift wrapped stick of dynamite. Which I want to say after Marvin falls for that gag, the uh, angry face he makes is really really good (laughs) i think that might be potentially the angriest face i've seen marvin make and when marvin retreats back to his ship daffy dispatches the ultimatum dispatcher sending a written message to convince marvin to surrender to him or be blown into and i quote 17 million six hundred twenty thousand and two microcells now according to modern science the average number of cells in the human body is around 3.72 trillion, which tells me Daffy himself must have done the math. Which is surprising. <laughs> or it's a lucky guess. <laughs> yeah, he, or he, he just had Porky do it for him. Yeah. Marvin's ultimatum answerer is basically a shotgun blast to Daffy's face, which gets Marvin another written message from Daffy. Ouch! Ouch. Very good. We get more gunplay via the magic of television, quite literally. And Daffy has had enough. Engaging the Acme Destructo. And Marvin responds in kind with the Martian Matomic Masher. Well, hey, it it causes a big explosion, but hey, at least uh, Daffy wins out. (laughs) Basically, they deploy their weapons simultaneously while cackling reducing Planet X to a clump of dirt and some roots, which Daffy pushes Marvin off of. See, all this for shaving cream? This is why I use an electric razor. Don't you still need shaving cream for that? No. Um, Then I've been doing it wrong. (laughs) (laughs) So once again, he claims this bit of dirt in the name of, well, you know, and Porky just responds with, eh, big deal. <laughs> it's the perfect capper to this last bit of bluster over Daffy's meaningless victory. 
Now let's get political again, but in the context of the times this short came out in. Do you think this ending was an allegory for the Cold War? I have maybe not the Cold War, but maybe war in general. Yeah. Um, though it's not too far. When you think about it, it could also be a callback to uh, when Marvin and Bugs had a fight out on the moon, so which has a similar kind of end to it. True, true. But, you know, I just look at that and I just think, oh, so this is what mutually assured destruction looks like. Yeah. And with how we go sometimes, it, it feels like that's possibly the only outcome to war, uh, yeah. which makes things even topical now. So getting away from that... Duck Dodgers was a freaking smash, spawning post-Golden Age sequels for television and theaters, an entire TV series on Cartoon Network, which we alluded to previously, since Nasty Canasta appeared on that, and And, of uh, all of Daffy's various alter egos, Duck Dodgers is bar none the most famous and recognizable. I think also uh, George Lucas mentioned it as being very inspirational to him, too. Indeed, I think Lucas even wanted Duck Dodgers to be in front of Star Wars. Yeah, I think that was why the sequel cartoon got made, but for, but didn't finish in time or something. I don't remember the specifics. The sequel cartoon is not as good. It's not terrible, but it's... No. It, it, it's my problem with it is... Sadly, uh, and I hate to say this for Chuck, uh, something that Chuck Jones was involved with, it kind of feels like it has a late era McKimson ending where it just kind of goes, eh, that's the yeah. end. Well, when we come back from our break, we have two more shorts, which you're not going to want to go, eh, about. Stay tuned. After these messages, we'll be right back. On the next Pemmy and James podcast, we go out into the wider world of grown people talking about cartoons for fun and very little profit, and have a chat with the gentleman who hosts the Looney Tunes-centric podcast, That's Not Quite All, Folks. Mark Halem and Jordan Schmidt are as animated as their subject material, and we discuss the origins of their friendship, their favorite episodes of their podcast, and much more. Check it out in two weeks, Doc. So, let's get ready to charge into our next cartoon. Yikes! Set away. Thud. I, I, <laughs> I, I do want to say I love this one. Even as j- just the credits alone makes this one so good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're of course talking about Robin Hood Daffy from 1958. This would be the final appearance of Porky Pig in the original run of Looney Tunes theatrical shorts. But what a high note to go out on. Yep. Also, I, I will point out this is probably one of the more, definitely more angular of the uh, Daffy-looking shorts. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that. This is de- this definitely looks a lot different from the ones we looked at previously. And you can also see a little bit of Warner's budget cuts kind of starting to creep in here. But it's nothing too bad. Yeah, also a lot more of Chuck Jones's uh, UPA influences popping in. Mm-hmm. 
because the backgrounds are even more surrealistic. The designs are even more angular. Now, also by this point, Milt Franklin has taken over for Carl Stalling in the soundtrack department after Stalling's retirement earlier that year. And Milt picks up right where Carl left off, basically. But like like Pemmy said, the gags start with Daffy shooting the credits via arrows and playfully tiptoeing off after the last one. Because it's revealed that he's not shooting them from a distance, he's shooting them right next to each other. <laughs> Basically. Our cartoon begins in earnest, with Daffy singing his own praises. To trip and trip and tripeth up and down. And trip and trip and trip and trip and trip and trip. Yeah, that word trip becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy as he trips down a hill and into a river. This is all very amusing to Friar Tuck, as played by Porky Pig. Who looks like he's gained quite a bit of weight since uh, Duck Dodgers. <laughs> a little bit. But also, if you were to take this whole series of cartoons as one large canon, this must be all so wonderfully cathartic for Porky. Yes. Also, I've noticed that Porky has, like, feet feet in this and not, like, hooved feet. Oh, that is interesting. Also, brief moment of Porky uh, with eyelashes, because Chuck likes to do that occasionally. Mm-hmm. It works on Porky. Yeah. A little less so on Daffy. <laughs> I, I think I remember seeing that the most, like, when he did his own Tom and Jerry cartoons, because that would happen with Jerry a lot. Oh, yes, <laughs> yes. So Daffy's embarrassment continues as he emerges from the river with his pants sagging due to all the water in the seat. And when he pulls the pants up, the water goes into his, um, stockings? Well, let's call them stockings. His, yeah, stockings work. Yeah. I don't know what else to call them, and Wikipedia was no help. While we're talking about this, I have, like, the video, and I'm just hitting, like, the uh, forward button randomly where it just skips, you know, so many frames. And I swear every time, every, every like scene that it just randomly comes to is just gold on this. <laughs> like every expression of like Daffy or Porky is just a hundred percent gold. So at this point, an offended Daffy decides he's going to ho ho and ha ha you fat friar with his trusty quarter staff. Actually, it's fucking a quarter quarter staff, but uh, what's a couple bucks between friends? But I ain't gonna tell him that. (laughs) This all just ends up smacking him in the beak. (laughs) Had to do my own imitation of the sound effect. Daffy runs through it, tries again. And Porky sends him back into the drink with a simple wooden dowel-based counterattack. I, I do want to say I love the gag that after he accidentally hits himself in the bill and then goes over it in his head to see what he where he went wrong, and his bill still goes plunk despite like not using the weapon. So Porky's laughter at Daffy's expense resumes. And when Daffy comes out of the river, he joins in. Just, I think it's one of those you have to laugh to keep from crying sort of things. But after a bit, he snaps himself out of it, wondering, how jolly can you get? The slap on the back probably didn't help either. (laughs) Yep. Daffy decides he's done with this stuff, only they have Porky ask him 
if he could help him find Robin Hood and his merry men. Daffy is, in fact, said Robin Hood, but Porky doesn't believe it for a second. Can you blame him? No. We get another (laughs) bent beak gag before Daffy resolves to prove it by robbing this rich dandy with a recurring late motif, which is played in time with the bouncing of his mule mount. Once again, James, phrasing. (laughs) Phrasing. Daffy resolves to rob the dandy and give it to some poor, undeserving slob, his own words. Our friends at the That's Not Quite All Folks podcast nailed it on the head when they said that even when Daffy is trying to be a hero, his true nature always shines through. Yep, even when he's trying to do the right thing, it's still usually for himself. (laughs) Now what follows is Daffy taking his turn as Wily Coyote. With the big difference being the bemused Greek chorus, that is Porky Pig snarkily responding to his every failure. And Porky's misunderstanding of thinking he's some sort of clown yes. or jester, which actually are two different things, but... <laughs> yeah. And after all, an unemployed jester is nobody's fool. Ha <laughs> ha! Thank you for that one, Danny Kay. So Daffy's attempt at archery launches himself instead of the arrow, swinging off a rope, yikes in a way, leads him into tree after tree, and cutting those trees down just opens a path for him to hit a boulder. Another rope trick ends with a wrecking ball wrecking him, and one ballista bolt launched by a rubber band just makes a bridge for the dandy. Any comments on any of the gags? Just more amazing timing. I mean, I do love the the giant arrow like gag. It's everything is just timed so well. I, I also love Daffy having his uh, George of the Jungle moment of hitting every single tree. Yes, <laughs> or even cutting down all the trees is no help as he just hits the giant rock. An audio description of this does not do it justice. This is proof that even after all this time, Chuck Jones still had a material to work with and from. But it's after that little ballista bolt that the cartoon actually kind of stumbles a bit for me. In his last desperate attempt to rob the rich, Daffy races to the castle gate, and the perspective here is... off. We see Daffy running alongside the dandy, and Daffy's tiny, even compared to the mule. You'd think this was supposed to be a distance shot of him, but the subsequent overhead shot reveals Daffy was mere feet away from the road. Daffy and Porky have almost have never been portrayed as being that small compared to human characters, so I legitimately wonder what the decision-making process was here. Uh, probably not in the budget or time to fix that, or maybe they just thought it looked funnier. Maybe. It's it's possible, but at the same time, especially having just come off seeing Daffy opposite the massive nasty Canasta, him being that tiny compared to a comparatively less intimidating figure does come a little off a little strange. I I more wonder what Daffy's logic was in thinking that he could, in standing in front of the, like, literally, like, not standing in the grounded area, 
but swimming the moat and setting in front of the pulled up drawbridge. Yeah. How do you think that was going to stop him? <laughs> well, a fanatic is someone who redoubles his efforts while forgetting his initial aim. I think this is the point Daffy hit full fanatic. This is the time he went. This is the moment when he went full Wally Coyote. <laughs> anyway, with Friar Porky still not convinced, Daffy decides rather than have Porky join him, he'll join Porky as Friar Duck. And as we iris out, his beak bends upward one last time. <laughs> Such a great running gag. <laughs> now, you may have noticed we are doing these three shorts, aside from Drip Along Daffy, in a specific order. Because uh, the, my first real exposure to Chuck Jones as a whole was the Chase movie, a.k.a. the Roadrunner movie a.k.a. the Bugs Bunny Roadrunner movie, where Duck Dodgers was immediately followed by Robin Hood Daffy and would then be followed up with the fully unedited Duck Amuck. The best cartoon of all time. At least as far as that one book we keep referring to is concerned. But it's a cartoon you could only do in the 50s when you have this tradition of animation already established. Cartoon characters break the fourth wall frequently, especially in the theatrical days, when there was, in theory, a large audience for them to talk to. This time, however, our fourth wall is more like a ceiling. Because Daffy isn't talking to the viewer, but to the animator. And we're watching the conflict between the fourth wall and the increasingly frustrated denizen of the fictional world the animator is creating in real time. I watched a video that was talking about this, and it and it says this video is like, was Chuck Jones showing just how versatile a character Daffy is? Because it's like, you take his design away, he's still Daffy. You take his voice away, he's still Daffy. You put him in any area, he's still Daffy. Basically. <laughs> Yeah, this was Jones's big experiment in, uh, in seeing just how versatile his character could be, and by Godfrey, it worked. Much to Daffy's frustration. <laughs> uh -huh. The whole thing begins with Daffy and Musketeer Garb dueling an unseen opponent and quickly wandering off where the background scenery runs out. He has to ask whoever's in charge to fill in the void and gets a farm. And then an Alaskan wilderness. And then a tropical forest. And then finally nothing again. And Daffy's willing to try and play along, even though he's not amused. But it's this last instance of nothing that Daffy decides to give the animator a history lecture. I, I do want to say, though, that the animation of him in the tropical landscape of his just legs dancing as he's playing the ukulele is freaking hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> So how does the animator respond to this uh, description of how to do his own job? He erases Daffy in mid-speech. All of my days! <laughs> now, the progression continues with multiple ways of messing with Daffy, making him ever more furious. It's classic Chuck Jones escalation at its finest, with sound issues, camera gags, the film getting out of sync, Daffy talking to a duplicate of himself, 
the, the infamous screwball creature, and on and on. Folks, if you haven't seen this cartoon, what are you listening to this podcast for? Go watch it. Yeah. It is rated the number one cartoon made by a lot of people for a reason. It, absolutely. It's such a treat, in a sense, that goes against the typical traditional visual tour de force of animation, but still just is so visually imaginative that I feel describing it in an audio format is simply trite. Even Tex Avery never went this far with his fourth wall gags, probably because he didn't have a character who would be quite as funny being the victim of it as Daffy here is. I can't imagine Screwy Squirrel being this funny. Or Droopy. Droopy wouldn't even react. Droopy's humor is his non-reaction. Exactly. But, yeah, next we get Daffy, a very stylized Daffy, I might add, uh, as a Western dressed in a cowboy garb with one giant-ass hat. Mm -hmm. And a guitar. And he tries to sing, but there's no sound. And when he does get a soundtrack, it's a machine gun. (laughs) And, for that matter, a car horn. Even attempting to smash the guitar gives him a brain donkey. Again, lots of great drawings. Yes, and so many wonderful, wonderful facial expressions. He tries to 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 yell at the animator again, but it comes out as a rooster, then a monkey, then just an aggravated thing. I don't even know what that is. I I love the fact that when he does the rooster and the. Uh... And the monkey sounds, he like responds like embarrassed by the sounds coming out of him. And he's never been so humiliated in all his life. That's when he realizes he has his voice back. Then he tries for some scenery and he gets a cute little pencil sketch all in black and white. And Daffy says, now how about some colors, stupid? Well, you asked for it. Instead of coloring the background, they color Daffy and the most psychedelic set of colors you can imagine. Stripes, polka dots, what have you. Mm-hmm. Daffy's not having that, so he gets all but his bill and eyes erased. And when he wonders where's the rest of him, we get the screwball creature. Yep. Do we even want to describe this thing? Because let's be honest, words aren't going to do it justice. It's got some flower power to it. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. Now, Daffy feels funny about the whole thing. I mean, he feels all right. But yet I... I, uh... Deek! You know better than that! (laughs) What were you drinking, Chuck, when you made this design? (laughs) Probably some of that old Panther stuff. (laughs) Ha! Callback. Nice. (laughs) So when Daffy's redrawn again, he's in a sailor's outfit... And he asks for some appropriate scenery and starts singing the Navy song. You know, over the sea, let's go, men. I think our animator takes that as a literal request because the background is Daffy over the sea with no ship. To which he drops into the water. Yeah. And has to swim all the way into the island in the background. (laughs) And Daffy, from that distance, begs for a close-up. We get the frame zooming in on the island, but we don't get a close-up. 
when Daffy starts screaming for one, oh, we got a close-up Wayne Campbell would have been proud of. <laughs> I, I do like the delivery of, uh, it's like, this is a close-up. <laughs> now Daffy tries to reason with him, and then this black void drops on his forehead. I'm not sure what that's even supposed to be, to be perfectly honest, but at this point I've stopped asking questions. I'm just having fun. It's just the it, the the uh, outline of the uh, it's the outline of the uh, film reel. Oh, oh, I don't think we're quite there yet. Oh, well. this this is when he's trying to hold up some right. curtain. Right, I, I think it what it is because you can kind of see in the edges of the frame uh, that it's kind of framed. So I think it's supposed to be like the actual f- part of the film reel just dropping on him. Like it okay, was... well. The animator gives him a stick to try to hold it up. The one instance of him being helpful. But it breaks. And Daffy comically struggles to pull it, to hold it up. And eventually he just loses his mind with rage, ripping it all up. And asks just to get this picture started. What a perfect cue for the end. Which... His response is my probably my favorite Daffy deliver delivery ever. Like, no! <laughs> no! No! At this point, Daffy recollects himself, says, You go your way, I'll go mine. Right? Right. And he proceeds to tap dance to that Swanee River song. And then the film gets out of sync with itself. I wonder how easy it is to tap dance with flippers hmm. or webbed feet more accurately i'm not sure but when daffy questions now what that, that's the daffy at the bottom of the frame the daffy at the top of the frame wants to know what daffy at the bottom is doing down there and vice versa and you know how i said daffy's his own worst enemy at the top of the podcast i didn't mean literally <laughs> but he is here <laughs> Yeah, they they try to start a fist fight, but the animator decides to get rid of the redundancy. And now, for some reason, puts him in a a plane. I'm a buzz boy. (laughs) Well, Daffy is just happy to be doing something productive and goes with it. And crashes into a freshly drawn mountain. Which he actually takes rather well, I might add. (laughs) Yeah, given everything that's happened... But, you know, he goes for the parachute, but the animator turns that into an anvil. Now I have a question for you, Pemmy. Hmm. What is Daffy saying when he's striking that anvil? Uh, I don't actually remember. (laughs) I'm going to have to go back and look at that, because I could never make heads or tails of of his punch drunk rambling. Give me one second. But while he rambles and is hammering the anvil, the animator replaces it with a missile. Now, remember, folks, in that Bugs Bunny and the Gremlins short, it's noted that those missiles go off when they're hit just right. Boom. Yeah. And by the way, the only thing I can make out in that rambling is uh, something the smithy says. (laughs) So, with the exploding missile, Daffy has had enough and demands that the his antagonist shows himself. To which, the animator just 
literally closes the door on this whole episode. We pan out to see an animator's desk with what was just drawn there. And, well, it's Bugs. Of course it is. (laughs) Ain't I a stinker? Now, this cartoon would spawn nearly as many takeoffs and sequels as Duck Dodgers. We already talked at the beginning of our description that Bugs Bunny would receive this treatment in Rabbit Rampage to ever so slightly diminishing returns. And it turns out, rather than Daffy getting revenge, it would be Elmer Fudd doing the animation. I I think one of the interesting things, one of the interesting differences that kind of adds to Rabbit Rampage is, while the audience doesn't know who's animating... Bugs figures it, figures it out right from the start because he actually sees the animator and says, "Oh no, I am not working with you." Mm-hmm. But then you know, pleads is like, "Okay, maybe we can do something together. Maybe we can make this work." But it doesn't stop there. Tropes from this cartoon pop up at least twice in the Tiny Toon Adventures cartoon, in the pilot, and in the first uh, musical episode. Furthermore, the last produced episode of the short-lived Clerks TV series concluded with the protagonists enduring this sort of torture with the usual view a universe veneer. Ain't I a sneaker? Nugganooch. <laughs> and more recently, Yakko Warner would endure a computer-assisted version of this concept with copy-and-paste mechanics and the like. Duckamuck even inspired a video game on the Nintendo dual screen developed by WayForward, the creators of the Shantae series. And this game included Daffy as the dragon from the Atari 2600 game Adventure, a.k.a. Somebody get this freaking duck away from me! <laughs> I've actually never played the Duckamuck game, but I heard it's actually really cool. I've been meaning to try it myself. Sadly, I know dual screen emulation ain't great. Uh, yeah. I think what I've heard about that game is it's a really cool tech demo, and it's really fun, but it's one of those things that's only fun once. Mm, so, there. But there you have it. Four of our favorite Daffy Duck cartoons by Chuck Jones and Mike Maltese. And we didn't even scratch the surface of what these two did with this character. Yeah, like the uh, Scarlet Pumpernickel. Yep, Scott Pumpernickel, the Ducksters, of course, the Hunting Trilogy, which we talked about, uh, Alibaba Bunny. Lots. Yeah, lots. And we will definitely be revisiting this in the future. But in the meantime, I think I've talked myself out. (laughs) So is it time to restock the cereal? Yeah, and the water filters, because I need a drink. We'll see you next time. What a different drink. See ya! (laughs) See ya! That's all, folks. Opinion to the sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast! The preceding podcast is a co-production of the Mighty Monkey Corporation and Artificial Orange Studios. The theme song is written, composed, and performed by Shawn Michael Smith.